Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. I'm supposed to be finishing up the Daniel Chronicles, and I have I have nine pages right here that will take us through the remaining part of chapter 11 and into chapter 12 and could take us all the way through to the end. But I feel to do something a little different. So I'm going to do something a little different. So if you would, I wish you would look with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. It's good to see all of you here. And again, those of you watching online, we love you. We miss you. We pray for you every day. Great things happening here. We have sign-up Sunday this Sunday for groups. We have a bunch of groups, life groups that will be taking place. And you can sign up this Sunday. Uh, a lot of excitement going on with those groups. Cool groups. There's like a sports group, a cooking group. There's all kind of neat groups. So that is this Sunday, sign up Sunday. And then on August 30th, it's back to school with Josh Youngblood, Pastor Josh Youngblood from Little Elm, Texas. That's North Texas, the Dallas region. And we're excited about that. It's going to be a great time. He'll preach both services here in Prairieville and that evening in Zachary because we have another campus. Isn't that cool? Wonderful people out there. God's doing a great work. In Zachary was out there last night. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. It's a little risky. It's a little sketchy. But we might as well. Doesn't that sound exciting? Let's just live out there on the edge. Forget all those notes. Matthew chapter 3. Look at verse 13. We'll just do a little Bible study tonight. See where it goes. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So I want to say a prayer, then we'll jump into it. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your word. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. We give you praise for that. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. So, here we have the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, in your Bible, you have this page. This, this page. When I was a kid, I used to look for it. That page right there. It says the New Testament. When I was a kid bored in church, because we didn't have smartphones and stuff, Sherry, we would go through hymnals. And try to find funky songs, you know, just weird songs. Oh, where's my boy tonight? That was one of them. We would look for that one in, in the hymnal. And, and, and then we would try to say, you know, put this one together with this one. And, and make them kind of say something as kids. 
we were disturbing the adults by chattering, looking at the hymns. And God knows if we ever wrote in a hymn book, it would be bad when we got home. It would be really, really bad when we got home and got caught. That is, if we got caught writing in a hymn book. But then the next thing we could do is in our Bible, we could look for this page that said the New Testament. The New Testament. And some Bibles on that page would, would, would speak of 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. As if God went on a vacation for 400 years. But that's not the case. He was doing a lot during that 400-year period of time. We've looked at some of it in our study in the book of Daniel, the time of the Maccabees. There were neat things that happened. God was still obviously moving. But the 400 silent years really is pointing to the fact that from Malachi until John the Baptist, there was no prophetic word. John is considered to be a prophet. And the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. The word of the Lord came to John. It had been a long time since anybody could say the word of the Lord had gone anywhere. I mean, Malachi said the hearts of the fathers would be turned to the son. He was saying that the, the voice of one, there would be one that would, that would come to prepare the way. And John, all of a sudden, in the wilderness... He has this amazing birth story. His father was a priest. It was miraculous the way it all happened. Gabriel was involved. He's the cousin of Jesus Christ. But he was raised. He was a Nazarite. He had certain commitments and vows. And, and he didn't follow in his father's footsteps by serving in the temple. He went out into the wilderness. He wore a weird outfit, camel skins. And he ate weird food, locusts, and wild honey, wild honey. And so when he's out there, though, the word of the Lord came to him. That's the bottom line. In other words, when he started baptizing people, it wasn't just his idea. It was a God idea. That's why when Jesus comes to him and John recognizes who his cousin is, who he really is, he's not just Joseph and Mary's boy. He's the son of the living God. He's the seed of the woman prophesied all those years before. And when he comes to John, John says, what are you doing here? And he says, you're going to baptize me. And John's like, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy to baptize. I know who you really are. And I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, you've you got to do it. We've got to fulfill righteousness. In other words, it's the right thing to do. Why? Because it was the word thing to do. The word of the Lord came to John. The word for that period of time was coming through John. And the reaction, the response that was necess necessitated was to be water baptized. John baptized unto repentance. Jesus had no sin and yet he yielded to the word. And he said, no, no, you've got to baptize me. And so he went down in the waters of baptism, and then when he came up out of the water, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a bird. It really wasn't a dove, you know, like a, or, you know, came flying down. It, the Holy Spirit settled on him like a dove, and John was 
was allowed to see into the supernatural realm and see this mantle of anointing from the Spirit of God rest on Jesus the Christ. You know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. His name, it's not like, you know, Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ means the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. And there at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended and settled on him. So he has a water experience in baptism. And he has a spirit experience. The Holy Spirit falls on him, settles on him. Now there's a lot to be said about where Jesus got the idea Oh, I'm walking off camera. I forgot. There's a lot to be said about where Jesus got the idea to be baptized by John. I mean, the word of the Lord came to John. Obviously, that's the word that's flowing at the time, and so Jesus yields to it. But he also knew there were other scriptures pointing to that water experience and that Holy Spirit experience. And they go all the way back to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. When Israel was coming out of Egypt, what did they do? What did they cross to get into where they were supposed to be? The Red Sea. They, were, they went through the water. And when they got through the water, they went to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Moses got the law. And the Spirit gave the law. The Spirit settled on the top of Mount Sinai and wrote in those stone tablets. J Jesus said one time, he was accused of casting out the devil by the power of the devil. And Jesus said, there are two gospel writers that tell the story. And one of them says, Jesus said to those who accused him, of casting out the devil by the devil. He said, if I do what I do by the finger of God, then is the kingdom come to you. In other words, I don't cast out demons by the power of the devil. I cast them out by the finger of God. The other gospel writer understood what he was saying, and he said, I cast out demons by the spirit of God. So you have the finger of God being equated in the gospels to the spirit of God, and so on Mount Sinai, when the law was given, the Spirit of God emblazoned those words on those stone tablets. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? And so Jesus is the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. When Moses stood before Pharaoh, he said, this is what the Lord says, let Israel, my firstborn, go. Israel was referred to as the son of God. And then Israel goes through water. Israel goes to the mountain where the spirit, Paul would say this, he said, your forefathers, they were baptized in the sea and in the cloud. He would tell this to the church at Corinth, the sea and the cloud. So Jesus was following the script. He was just following the script. He had a water baptism and he had a spirit baptism. 
He was fulfilling those words that, that were recorded about Israel going through the water, coming to Mount Sinai, following under the cloud. And the same would happen with Jesus. He would come to the water and then the, the Spirit would descend upon him. And really that pattern is seen today in the New Testament church. That's why Jesus said, you know, uh, Peter said when, when, when in Acts chapter 2 when the church was born, was born in that upper room, and it was so cool because they were in this prayer meeting for 10 days, and the Bible said that, that when the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, when the day of Pentecost, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is the celebration of the giving of the law. The giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And so here you have the Holy Spirit when the day of Pentecost was fully come, coming down and not writing his laws on the tablets of stone, but writing his laws on the ta tables of those men and, and women's hearts. That, so you have a Fulfillment again in Acts in Acts chapter two, that idea of of the giving of the Holy Spirit, and then you know they they acted drunk, they acted crazy, they were criticized, and uh, that 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 should be part and parcel for the New Testament church. It should be a little strange and a little odd, and and not make sense to carnal minds. When church makes sense to carnal minds, church ain't church. When church is, is reasonable to carnal minds, church ain't church. Church is supposed to confound and even confuse. There was perplexed, there were perplexed minds in Acts chapter 2 and, and, and false accusations. And Peter said, this is not, you know, what you're thinking. They're not drunk as you suppose. They're drunk, but not as you suppose. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Their sons and daughters will prophesy. And, and when they heard these words, they were convicted in their hearts. And they said, what do we do? What do we do with this Jesus that was just preached to us? Because Peter preached a masterpiece on Jesus the Christ. And they said, what do we do with this word? And Peter said, here's what you do. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So can you see that pattern? Again, water, spirit. Water, spirit. But I want to show you something. And I think we're in this strange season where this is so fitting. So chapter 4 of Matthew so here you have Jesus coming through the water, anointed by the Spirit. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, Jesus would say in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Looks to me like the Holy Spirit just led him into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. So what does that mean? He was driven, one scripture says, he was driven by the Spirit 
He was following the script. He's going back to those Old Testament types. He knows Israel failed in the wilderness. And he is going in as the type to fulfill and to get it right and to be successful in the wilderness. So Jesus is driven. He's led by the Spirit. Let me say this. To be led by the Word is to be led by the Spirit. And to be led by the Spirit is to be led by the Word. Sometimes we think of being led by the Spirit as in, you know, eyes roll back in your head, looking real spiritual, mystical. And again, church should be inexplicable. We should have experiences with God that are very powerful. But at the same time, you're just as much led by the Spirit when you say, thus saith the Lord, and this is what I'm going to do. You're led by the Spirit when you're led by the Word. So Jesus was led by the Word, by the Spirit, into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Temptation is pressure. Pressure was applied to him by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. So notice, <laughs> that's just great. First of all, it says afterward he was hungry. Duh, right? You know, after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. So it's not as if he was fasting, you know, breakfast and lunch and then eating at dinner. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterward, he was hungry. And so the devil comes in and hits him where he's most vulnerable. Verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, there's some deep stuff in here. and I, I, I'm, I've got a point. I don't want to dive off the, the diving board and into the deep stuff. But, but I have to tell you, that word, if... You are the son of God. It, it, in the Greek, it can be translated since you are the son of God. Jesus didn't have an identity crisis. He, he wasn't wandering around in the wilderness, especially after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. But even without that, he wasn't wandering around in the wilderness thinking, who am I? Who am I? You know, like, I don't know who I am if I could only find myself, you know. He's not sitting like a guru cross-legged on a stone meditating saying, who am I? He knew exactly who he was. And so this idea of he was having an identity crisis, not the case. The devil comes to him when he's the most vulnerable because Jesus was truly man and fully man as well as truly God and fully God. Let me go ahead and say that. Jesus is God. The writer Paul in Philippians was saying that he's, he's, one translation puts it like this, he's God in another form. He took on the form of a servant. He, he, he came as a man. Paul would say great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God became a human being, spirit, soul, and body. So he's fully God, truly God, but fully man, truly man. And so here, as a man, he is hungry. 
He is literally starving to death. 40 days, 40 nights, no food. He's hungry. The devil says, since you're the, notice what he says, since you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, notice the first word, man. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus chose to lay aside his Godhead powers and to function as a man in a covenant anointed by the Spirit. So the devil was trying to get him to cheat, use his God powers, make some bread out of stones. Jesus only did what the Father instructed him to do, only yielded to the will of the Father, and he quotes Scripture. He says, it's written, man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not by bread alone. In other words, I'm not cheating I am going to function as a man, and if I'm hungry now, I'm hungry now. The will of God is not for this man to function as God and turn these stones into bread. It was a temptation. It was a real temptation. If it wasn't pressure on his flesh, Jesus would later say, you know, the spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. If it wasn't pressure on his flesh, it wasn't a temptation. If he wasn't tempted, why is it called a temptation, right? And, and, and if the devil was, you know, he, Jesus was fully cognizant and aware of what was going on here. And he quotes scripture. It's written. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what I do as a man, not cheat, use my God powers. Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written. He's given his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And the pinnacle of the temple was 200 feet up in the air. 200 feet. Think about that. And Jesus is whisked up there by the supernatural being called the devil. And he says, look, all the religious people, all the right people are here. If you'll throw yourself down, they'll all see it. They'll be impressed. You'll get their attention. They'll listen to you. Notice that. And Jesus says, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to lead the Lord into temptation. The, the wording there is a little confusing. What it really means is don't be presumptuous. Even though the Bible says the angels will bear the Son of God up, he says it's foolish and presumptuous for me to assume that will happen by throwing myself off the temple. Are you with me? Does that make sense? It's kind of like the scriptures that say don't take up serpents and drink any deadly thing. That would be like going out and handling snakes and drinking strychnine. It's stupid. It's presumptuous. Don't do that. But when it comes to Jesus jumping off the temple, it's the equivalent. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. It's written, you shall not act presumptuously toward the Lord your God. And then verse 8, again, the devil took him up on a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, this is why Jesus came. To undo what Adam had done. He came to take back the kingdoms of this world. The Bible talks about the day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and is Christ. So that's what he came to do in the first place. And the devil's just saying, they do belong to me. That's, that's a great point. 
If this was not a temptation, if the devil could not deliver, that it would have not been a temptation. If the devil's lying to Jesus because he couldn't deliver and Jesus thought he could deliver, then Jesus is not a good son of God. In other words, the devil really could deliver. And he said, I'll give it to you if you fall down and worship me. It, all of these I will give you and their glory. Luke puts it like this. They've been given to me and to whomever I give them. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. How many of you would like angels to minister to you? What's that even mean? You know? Angels came and ministered to him. One writer says ministered strength to him. They, they, angels are powerful, man. The devil is a fallen angel. That's exhausting. But here are the holy angels of God, and they ministered to Jesus. When did they minister to him? They ministered to him when he came, when he came through these temptations, when nobody was watching, there was nobody around. He was in isolation. He was in quarantine. Nobody was there to support him. Nobody was there to stand by his side. Nobody was there cheering him on. You're doing a great job, Jesus. You got that one behind you. Oh, that's great, Jesus. What a great comeback. You got the second one behind you. Oh, you're doing awesome, Jesus. You got the third one behind you. He didn't have a support team. He didn't have... Any shout-outs coming online, way to go, Jesus. Way to go, Jesus. Yay, Jesus. I mean, there was none of that going on. Jesus was completely by himself. Now, here's the point. He was baptized in water. He was filled with the Spirit. And he was by himself. And he was dealing with pressure on his flesh when nobody was watching. It was a struggle. He's, a, he's anointed. But I want, I want you to be careful to understand this. There, was, there were no miracles that had taken place. There was no ministry that had occurred. He had not preached one sermon. His, his calling and his destiny... He had not stepped into it yet. And he would not do so until he came through the wilderness. And he learned to overcome. The Bible says he learned obedience by the things he suffered. He learned to stand up against pressure when nobody was around to support him. Nobody's watching. The devil How many of you know the devil comes in when you're by yourself? That's when the greatest struggles are. I, I want to be honest with you. It's not when you're all together in church. When we get together in church, right, we're feeling good. High five and woo. 
Awesome. Uh, we love the Lord. I love the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. And we can get into it. We can worship the Lord. Like, that's, that's easy. If you have a hard time with that, you're going you're gonna to really have a hard time by yourself. I'm a little questionable when people are like, well, I worship in my private time. But you don't worship corporately? You know what I mean? It's easy to worship corporately when the peer pressure is on to do so. It's more difficult when you're by yourself. It's more difficult to overcome when you're by yourself. Some of your greatest temptations, the ones that you struggle with, they're not a problem in church. They're a problem when you're by yourself. They're a problem when you're isolated. They're a problem when you're alone. Jesus was by himself, had a water baptism, had a spirit baptism. And yet, he had to go through this wilderness experience. Angels came and ministered to him when he overcame by the word when no one was watching. Let me just say, oh, can I walk down there? Can I be seen down there? I want to go. I want to come down here. Can I be seen like this? I'm good. Hey, everybody. Gather around Uncle Don Don. Let me share a little word with you. Right, Luke? <laughs> so he's water baptized, he's spirit baptized. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Well, let's go up to 12 or, or 13. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. News of him went out through all the surrounding region. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, Jesus was a man who knew the book, y'all. He opened the book and he found the place where it was written. So they gave him a scroll. I'm sorry, I'm mobile again. They gave him a scroll. They had these big parchments, these scrolls. They handed him the scroll. He put it on the lectern because they had a little pulpit area. And he unfurled it. And he went digging around and he found Isaiah 61. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I make statements like this on a regular basis. It is the will of God that the Holy Spirit on the Christian is just as powerful on the, as the Holy Spirit that was on the Christ. 
But the Bible says that he had the spirit without measure. The idea is that we have in measure. He had the spirit without measure. But as the body of Christ, I am not the whole body of Christ. You and I together make up the body of Christ. So when there's a unity amongst us, there's a more powerful anointing and flow of the Spirit. But it's not only us being unified. It's, it's us also learning how to fast and pray when no support groups are around. In other words, I love getting together, but we've experienced in the last few months what it's like to not be able to get together. So when we're apart, when we're separate, when we're alone, we're each fasting and praying together and learning how to apply Scripture and overcome temptation by ourselves. Here's the bottom line. You and I, we can have water, baptism in Jesus' name. We can be filled with the Holy Ghost and not walk in the power of the Spirit. There's so much of that in the church. I mean, in the, in the modern era. Baptized in the name of Jesus. Filled with the Holy Ghost. But there's no flow. There's no miracle. There are no supernatural signs. There's no... Fame of them went out everywhere, that kind of stuff. Early church type stuff. Jesus kind of stuff. Why? I would say it's because we've not learned to fast. We've not learned to pray. And we've not learned to overcome when nobody's watching. Because if we will do that, church, you hear what I'm saying? If we will take advantage of the isolation, learn to overcome when nobody's watching, we can come out on the other side of this with an anointing like we've never had before with a flow of the Spirit like we've never had before. I don't, I don't think anybody believes me in the building right now, but I'm going to tell you something. We can come out of this on the other side very, very powerful. Give God some praise for that right now in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be water baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and just be a monkey out there, you know, just jumping around and, and have no power and no flow of the Spirit. You get that kind of punch in secret places. You get that kind of punch in wildernesses. You know, David got what he got out there on the backside of nowhere when nobody was around. That, that struggle by himself was part of his destiny. Jesus had that struggle when nobody was around. It was part of his destiny. If you'll learn to overcome and persevere when nobody's around, you'll come out in the power of the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I want to walk. I want to walk in a more powerful walk than just I intellectually win arguments and I intellectually state my case. I want to lay these hands on the sick and see them recover. I want to speak with new tongues. I want to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. I want to prophesy. I want, to, I want tongues and interpretation in this church. The devil is a liar. 
That stuff is for today. And if it's going to happen, you hear what I'm saying? It's going to happen through us. We can't push it off on somebody else. It's going to happen through me. Somebody say me. It's going to happen through you and through you. We just need faith to believe that it's for us. The devil's convinced us either it's not for us or somebody else is going to do it. And we need to quit being lazy spiritually and say, if you're going to use anybody, Lord, we sing that all the time, you're going to use me. Please use me, Lord. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. But really, that kind of strength comes when you're in these lonely places, man. Lonely places. You know, I, I, I don't think Jesus was, I don't think that's a very exciting message, honestly. You know, we, we look at the Apostle Paul, and I'm, I'm winding down here. We look at the great Apostle Paul, had amazing things happen in his life. His ministry was very powerful. But, man, he had 14 years of isolation. He got all excited at the very beginning, almost died, and then he just disappeared. And then he came back with a powerful anointing, powerful, unstoppable. It's not exciting to say, you need to get along with God. You need to quit eating for a few days. You, you need to pray. You need to overcome some of that those cancerous sins and habits that are hanging on to your life. you gotta, you got to strip the flesh. Just get rid of, of that carnal mindset. That kind of stuff, that kind of, that, that's a holiness type thing. I'm getting alone and consecrating my life. And when the pressure comes on to yield and to give in and to do what the flesh wants to do, I, I just refuse to do it because then that anointing that's there all along becomes activated, and there's a strength that we flow in. Why don't you stand with me right now? So I don't know why I felt to share that tonight, but I felt to share that tonight. in here flipping morgue jeez amen father we love you so much to be like you to be like Jesus on earth I long be like him all through life's journey from earth to glory I only ask to be like you Father we really do want to be like you and God salvation of course is a free gift as we walk through that water fill with your spirit guys just that's all free but God, there is a price to be paid. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. 
It is written. Just that constant. It is written. I will yield this flesh. The flesh is weak. The, the, the flesh is struggling. The spirit's willing. The flesh is weak. Father, as your body, as the church, help us to yield. Maybe a morgue is not such a bad analogy in the sense that we die to self. We take up a cross. We surrender self. Father, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe I've put self on the throne. I've listened to self for too long. And God, tonight I want to I want to yield it in Jesus' name. There is a joy that's set before us. There, there's a crown to, to seek after, Lord, to run after. There's a victory. There's a calling and a destiny to fulfill, but God, it only comes from, from laying down this, this low life and grabbing a hold of the that better life, that eternal life, that quality of life that only comes from a surrendered life and that only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray a prayer with me right now. The Holy Spirit is called a paraclete. It's a Greek word. Its exact opposite in the Greek is parasite. A parasite sucks the life out of. A paraclete puts the life in. The flesh, man, the devil, the world, lust, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life, just sucks the life out of us. But the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, called alongside to help, puts the life into us. I want you to just surrender. Just kind of see that parasite falling off and, and just see that life of God flowing in. Just in your own way, close your eyes right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray, God, that you would let that, that parasite of the flesh just fall aside, God, and let the life of God flow in, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lift your hands to him right now. I surrender. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.